Bibles, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And we're continuing our study in the first part of this great sermon that Jesus preached on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. In the second year of his public ministry, Jesus gathered his disciples together, and there was a large crowd of other people as well that assembled on that day to hear Jesus preach. And Jesus sat down and he began to preach the most important sermon that has ever been preached. It was about life in the kingdom of God. And it was about the special qualifications of all people that will live in that kingdom. And this was really a separating sermon. It was a sermon that changed the paradigm of the people. And that's because the model of true religion and true righteousness was changing here. It was much different from anything they'd ever heard before. And when Jesus was finished preaching the sermon, the crowds applauded. They followed him down the mountain. And what they came to discover was that following Jesus was much more difficult than listening to what he said. You ever find that difficult? You come in here and hear a sermon and everything... Real, real good in here. Seems fine here. But when you go outside and you're trying to live it, it's a very much different thing. It's harder to live than it is to listen. Well, these people found it hard. It didn't sink down very far into them. For the majority of them, they heard it in their ears, but it really didn't go down into their heart. And nothing could have been more evident to see that the people really didn't understand a lot of what Jesus was saying just by looking at this seventh beatitude and the reaction to it. This is a beatitude about peace. And most people in the world simply do not understand what Jesus means when he talks about peace. As we've done previously in our study, we're going to begin reading today in verse number 1 of chapter 5. If you'd stand with me, please. And we'll read down all the way through the beatitudes that we've studied so far until we get to this seventh beatitude in verse number 9. Verse number 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you again. We thank you, Lord, for those who have assembled here today to hear your word. We just ask, Lord, you to open up our hearts to the truth, and may we see what Jesus truly means when he says we are to be peacemakers, and when we are, we are the children of God. Bless in this message, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I said just a moment ago that this message that Jesus preached was in their ears, but it hadn't yet all gone all the way down to their heart. Did the people really understand what Jesus was talking about when he spoke of peace? Did they really hear and understand? I want to show you just how far they were off. And this is really kind of a remarkable thing. I want you to listen to something that happened sometime later after Jesus had finished this message. And this was after the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew records that miracle in Matthew chapter 14. But John tells us, 
Exactly what happened afterwards when Jesus was through feeding the people. In John chapter 6 it says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, that's that miracle of feeding 5,000, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Now, how badly could they have missed Jesus' teaching? They would have taken him by force and made him a king. And that really underscores the problem of how people really do not understand what the Bible means when it speaks of peace and the way that peace can be accomplished. Now, the Bible has much to say about peace. The King James Version has the word peace, appears 429 times. Peace began at the very... Uh, Beginning of creation, there was peace when God created this world, but then there was no peace. Adam was put into the garden, but then he gave up his peace by disobedience. And since that time, the whole Bible, the whole theme of the Bible is how to restore the peace that was lost back in the Garden of Eden. And what Christ did was to lay the groundwork for peace through the violence of the cross. Because of what Christ did, peace can now come to our heart because God has sought to reestablish peace with man. So the Bible starts out with peace, and I promise you, if you read it all the way to the end, you'll find that the Bible also ends with peace. So what is the real problem then? Why is there no peace? Why is there no peace man to man? Well, it really stems from the greatest conflict that we have in the world today. What is that conflict? Is it the war that we have in Iraq and Afghanistan? Is it the conflict of, of tribal warfare in Africa? Recently, we've seen these news stories about piracy on the high seas. Is that why there's no peace in the world? Or is it because that Israel and all of its neighbors are always at war with one another? Is that the reason there is no peace? No, that's not why the world is not at peace. Here's the real reason why there is no peace. There is enmity with God. Now you can mark it down. That is the underlying problem. That underscores everything. There is enmity with God. That means that there is a conflict with God. There's a conflict that's going on in the heart of every single person that is in this world. And this conflict is a fight that the person has with God. The Bible says that all of us are God's enemies. I know most people would not describe themselves that way, but that's what the Word of God says. In truth, we are really God's enemies. There's this hatred that exists between man and God. So how could we say it then? Well, we could state it this way, that man is at war. We're at war with God. Humans hate God. We hate God's ways. We resist God's ways. We resist God's control of our lives. And the reason that we do is because of this presence of sin that's in us. That is the cause of our hatred. Isaiah said it this way, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongues have muttered perverseness. That is essentially the same thing that Paul wrote in the New Testament. In the book of Romans, he said, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. 
Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. Now there then is the barrier to peace. Because we are God's enemies, we are also man's enemies. And so man to man, there is war, there is strife, there is bitterness, and it all stems from this underlying theme, and that is our hatred of God. And as long as there is no change in the heart of man, there will be no peace with God. And when there is no peace with God, mark it down, there will be no peace with man. Now, just after the Los Angeles riots just a few years ago, Rodney King asked, Can't we all just get along? No, Rodney, we can't all just get along. We can't do it. We won't get along until that enmity with God has been changed. Not until that happens in our hearts will there ever be peace with man. You know the best description that you can put on the United Nations? You know the best way that you can describe the president's plan for peace? You know the best way that you could describe peace in the Middle East? And I just read in the paper, I think it was yesterday, that the Pope was there and he said, yes, peace can be achieved in the Middle East. Let me give you two words for that. Pipe dream. It's not going to happen. It is totally unrealistic. It will not happen because the human heart is desperately wicked. There's enmity with God. Now, just to show you how serious that things are, this war is not limited to the natural world alone because also angels are at war. There's a cosmic conflict that's going on. There's this unseen world of evil that's out there. There's sin in the universe. Angels are at war. They're at war with God's people. They're at war with God. Satan fights against God. He fights against man. And if it weren't enough that we already have this inherent human depravity that rules our heart, we also have Satan and his evil angels that are out there tempting us to carry out every evil propensity of our hearts. That just underscores how horrible that the problem is, how deep the problem is. There is no peace, there will be no peace until Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes to this earth and makes peace. And interestingly enough, there is no peace until a war has been fought. God has to win the war or there won't be any peace. Isn't that strange? You go to Washington, D.C. today and you can find the places filled with peace monuments. You know why? Because they build one every time there's a war. After every war, they build a peace monument. So there's the problem. There is no peace because man has sin in his heart. Man is at enmity with God, and he'll always be that way until the real peacemaker comes and he overcomes all evil and establishes a lasting peace. Now, with that constant struggle that's going on, this constant conflict... Do we really understand what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the peacemakers? Is it even possible? Is it possible that anybody could actually be a peacemaker? Well, let's go on. Let's see, even even in a greater way, how the confusion reigns. The second thing I want to talk to you about is the engagement of error. What is peace? You know, I think there are many people that are fooled by it, and the misunderstanding shows up in two ways. First, peace is not compromise. Whenever we think about world peace, the way that peace is forged is through compromise. You give a little, I'll give a little, let's make some concessions and we'll come together and then we'll have peace. Most often peace is made that way. 
Sometimes peace is made by beating the other party into submission. That's not real peace. And even though we call it peace, that's certainly not the Bible's idea of what peace is. God's peace simply does not work that way. In the religious world, you find many attempts to make peace. And how do they do it? Well, they want to compromise with error. Establish peace by compromising with error. Most churches actually work that way. You know, that's the spirit of the ecumenical movement today. That's what it's all about. We'll just give in to some of the error. Let's don't, let's don't focus on the things that divide us. It's the impetus that's behind the evangelical Catholic accord today. Let's just find some common ground. I mean, uh, let's find some areas where we can give up some of our doctrine, you can give up some of your doctrine, then we'll come together, we'll all get together, we'll sit down together, and we'll worship with each other in peace. Some of you may think that I'm too hard about this. I'm I'm just too exclusive. I don't join ministerial associations. I I don't get together with all the other churches that are in the area and say, let's fight our common enemy. I don't do that because I think that error is our enemy. I think wrong doctrine is our enemy. I never see in the Scriptures where we're told that we are to tolerate false doctrine. I never see here where we tolerate false morals, that we tolerate false teachers. There is no mandate in Scripture to do anything other than to be intolerant of error. We can't achieve peace by compromise. And the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount prove this. Jesus didn't entertain the Pharisees and what they believed. He didn't say to his disciples, well, they're Jews and we're Jews, so let's find our common ground and let's see if we can really get together with one another. No, a little bit later, you're going to find that Jesus says about them, they are blind guides. He said they're whited sepulchers that are full of dead men's bones. John the Baptist said they're a generation of vipers. God's peace is never going to be forged with doctrinal compromise. Well, what about this way? What what about this? Why don't we just live and let live? Let's just agree that we're going to disagree. Well, secondly, peace is not avoidance. You can't avoid the issues to bring peace. I mean, you can't pretend that differences don't exist. You know, in fact, I think the Bible teaches that we need to be aggressive to bring peace. We're, We're to seek after righteousness. And that might seem to be a contradiction. Be aggressive to make peace. And yet I think that's what the Bible tells us to do. If we expect that there's going to be change in the world, there has to be a change in the hearts of men. And their hearts will not be changed by anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we can't avoid our differences because avoidance will send the unsuspecting to hell. I mean, should I be content that there is a Mormon church down the street and say, oh, well, at least they go to church. They're doing some good. Is that what you would expect me to say? Am I to be tolerant of this, or should I say, well, let's just get along with people when I know that there are are members of your families that are Roman Catholics? And I say, well, let's just leave that thing alone. Let's don't talk about their false doctrine. Folks, the alternative is hell. There is no peace in hell. The alternative leaves men and women in their sins, which means I'm not a peacemaker. You're not a peacemaker. It means I'm contributing to their continued enmity with God because they have this inability to ever make peace with God because of sin, because, and they'll never make peace with man as well. 
So don't think that we can ever bring peace to each other, that we can bring peace to the world by not engaging error, by hitting it head on, by confronting it, and by triumphing over it with the truth. The war against evil, this war against false doctrine, a war against false teachers, it has to continue. It must go on before there can ever be any peace. So you can't go along to get along because it only masks the problem. Sin continues to to smolder underneath all of that, and eventually sin breaks out and sin brings forth death. Now that brings me to the third consideration, number three, is the enemies of peace. Now oddly enough, there there's a confrontation that exists before there can come peace. When Jesus spoke this beatitude, do do you think that he wasn't aware that in a very short time he was going to speak these next words where he says in chapter 10, Think not that I came to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Jesus knew that the very things that he taught here in the Sermon on the Mount, this would be a dividing line. It would be a separating line. It would, draw, it would drive a wedge even between families. Those who accepted the teachings of his kingdom would automatically find that there was conflict in their homes and there would be conflict with their neighbors. Taking on the teachings of the kingdom would drive that wedge between the families because there was denial of what the people had been taught in their synagogues. It was against everything their fathers had taught. It was against that whole man-made system of laws that had been set up. If they're going to follow Jesus Christ, if they're going to believe him, if they're going to become Christians, it's going to bring division in their families. Now, in relation then to what I said earlier about error, what are the enemies of peace? Wrong belief. Wrong belief is an enemy of peace. False methods of salvation are barriers to peace. When we entertain pluralism and we say that, well, it's all right if you believe that there are many paths to God and you just decide which path you want to take, whenever we teach such things, that's an enemy of peace. I remember when President Reagan died, that there were prayers that were offered at the National Cathedral from people of all faiths. President Reagan was lauded as the man who brought peace because he eventually, uh, his policies broke down the Berlin Wall. He's the man who brought an end to the Cold War. And so when prayers were offered up at his, at his funeral, you have all these different people praying to all their different gods, and those things are not markers of peace. Here they're talking about a man they thought could bring peace, and they're praying to all these false gods. Those are not harbingers of peace. Wrong belief. False gods will never bring us the true peace that the Bible speaks about. And so when we talk about salvation by sacraments, salvation by prayers to Mary, salvation by rosaries, salvation by baptism, salvation by speaking in tongues, all of that is the enemy of peace. Those are enemies to the souls of man because what they do is they keep man at enmity with God. And again, folks, those who are enemies of God are not the friends of man. Those things don't go together. So when we tolerate anything other than salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then we are the enemies of peace. Wrong belief is a deal killer. It's the enemy of Christ, and therefore it's the enemy of man. Now what God seeks to do is to redeem man from his iniquity. That's what will bring him peace. 
And so whenever we entertain false doctrine, when that becomes a part of our churches, whenever we go along, when we maintain the status quo, then we will forever be at war with God and also forever at war with each other. Now let me personalize that just a little bit more. Wrong belief. Maybe you can institutionalize that. And maybe you can say, well, that's the responsibility of the church. The church is the one who has this responsibility of upholding the truth. The Bible says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. So let's just leave this whole thing up to the church. Let the church deal with it. The church upholds truth. Well, if you think that way, you really don't understand what the church is to begin with. But let's leave that for just a moment. And let's put you personally in the middle of this. What is an enemy of peace? Wrong behavior. Wrong behavior is an enemy of peace. Jesus said that you're to be peacemakers, and your behavior may very well be what prevents peace. In your home, there may not be peace. There's temper, temper tantrums, there's anger there. That prevents peace. Selfishness prevents peace. When you take advantage of others, that prevents peace. Fathers, when you have a, a beer can in your hand, that prevents peace. Cigarettes prevent peace. Provocative clothing prevents peace. Staying home from church prevents peace. Wrongful associations prevent peace. All of that's enemies of peace. In short, what I'm trying to tell you is that any sin that you harbor in your life, that you hold on to, that you're unwilling to give up, that is a barrier to peace. Sin will not ever bring you peace. Now notice again that how these Beatitudes are progressive. Jesus said the poor in spirit which leads to mourning. Mourning leads to meekness. And pay attention to this one, that when you have a heart that hungers and thirsts after righteousness, when it's one that's mourning over sin, when it's poor in spirit, when it's broken over sin, sin, it will lead you straight to the remedy for sin, which is righteousness. Righteousness is the remedy for what ails you, folks. Righteousness leads to a change of behavior. That sixth beatitude, the pure in heart. That is a change of behavior. And unless your behavior is changed, you are an enemy of peace. And so when your behavior casts a stumbling block in front of your friends, in front of your family, in front of your co-workers, in front of schoolmates, your wrong behavior makes you an enemy of peace. So you can't live wrongly, act wrongly, behave wrongly, and be a peacemaker. Let me back up to one of those sins that I mentioned just a moment ago. And, and, and I'm not really trying to give you Pastor Smith's list of sins that you have to stay away from. But there's this one, one big one there, selfishness. Selfishness comes from the root of all sin, which is pride. Now, do you know what's happening, in today, happening today that just shows you how much things have gone haywire? We used to think that pride was... The worst of sins. And the Bible teaches that, doesn't it? The Bible puts it right up there. The reason that Satan fell was because of his pride. But you know, things are so skewed today that pride is now considered to be our greatest virtue. If you go to a psychologist, and by the way, they're often touted as people who can bring you peace. They bring you peace in the middle of your problems. If you go to a psychologist, the first thing that he begins to work on is what? Your self-esteem. Your self-esteem issues. How do you really feel about yourself? Build yourself up. Make yourself number one. Do something for yourself. The bumper sticker reads, My karma just ran over your dogma. 
advertisements say, indulge yourself, pamper yourself, talk about yourself, self, 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 all the time. Look at it, see it on TV, see it everywhere. We're always talking about ourselves. That is not Christ's way and that is not God's way. The promotion of person will never lead to the promotion of peace. Self-promotion is always a conflict provider. So what we find here in the Beatitudes is a change of behavior. And this particular Beatitude runs on a parallel track with that one of meekness. Humility is a virtue, not pride. So you can't be a peacemaker and an enemy of peace at the same time. Your paradigm has to shift, just like it did for those people that were on that hillside that day when Jesus was preaching. So the command of Christ then is to be a peacemaker. How are we going to get there? How is Christ's kingdom a kingdom of peace? Well, let's look at this next. The essentials of peace. Peace must begin in the right place. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. What does that tell us? It tells us that God is the source of peace. The author of peace is God. He created the world in peace. Man by transgression fell and he lost peace. And what God has been doing ever since is trying to restore that peace because we're never going to do it. Our sinful hearts won't allow us. Our sinful nature is a barrier to peace. And so we need to look at politicians. Don't look at educators. Don't look at the legal system. The United Nations is not going to give us peace. If we're going to be at peace, we have to focus on the essential provider of peace, and that is God. So we have to go back to God. That's what we need to do, call everybody back to God, because God has the power to set things straight. Making things right between God and man is the way that you regain peace. So how do we get there? Well, here, righteousness is the means of peace. The way to peace is to become righteous. It's it's as simple as that. If it's sin that separates us from God, if it's sin that has upset the balance of peace, if it's sin that's made us enemies of God, then we have to get rid of sin, don't we? That's the only way it's going to come. The only way to have peace, to get rid of our enmity, is to become righteous with God. We have to be made right with God. Listen to what the psalmist said. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. God's mercy meets with God's truth. And when they do, righteousness and peace kiss each other. So you get a man right with God, and righteousness can't help but do anything other than to snuggle up with peace. Righteousness is the means. So how do we become righteous? Well, you know it from Beatitude number 4. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Beatitude number six, blessed are the pure in heart. That is the secret to peace. So how does that peace come? Well, the cross, the cross is the instrument of peace. Christ endured the violence of the cross to bring us peace. Now, God is the source of our peace, so look what he did. This is in Colossians chapter 1. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. We are reconciled to God by the blood of the cross. Now the cross is an instrument of death. 
On the cross, blood was shed, and that blood was the satisfaction of God for the believer's sin. So the blood of Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Not what we've done, but what Christ has done. This is what Paul wrote in Titus. He said, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. In other words, that means no peace. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The kindness of God was to send Jesus Christ to die for our sins. Jesus gave his life's blood that we might be reconciled to God. Now let's look and see what happens when we're reconciled. When we become righteous with God, things begin to change. When you get right with God, there's something that happens between men. We find this in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For he is our peace who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. Now there we have the example of peace. The contrast that Paul sets forth here is that between the Jew and the Gentile. They were enemies of one another. Jews hate Gentiles, Gentiles hate Jews. Hatred for Romans was seething underneath all these teachings that Jesus was giving on that day. The Romans hated the Jews, the Jews hate the Romans. The Romans thought they were superior because of their wisdom, because of their intellect. The Jews thought they were superior because of their religion. And so here you have worldly religion fighting against worldly wisdom. But what happens when both meet together at the cross? It breaks down the wall. It breaks down that partition that separates Jew and Gentile. And so what happens is when people come to Jesus Christ as their Savior, all of us stand on equal footing. We're all exactly alike when we're in Christ. There's no race. There's no social standing. There's no person higher than another, no person that is greater than another. We're all equal in the eyes of God through Jesus Christ at the cross. So what happens when you're all equal at the cross? All of our hearts are right with God. We all have the same pure heart. We have the heart of God that's in each of us, and that leads us to peace. Now there we're getting at the real meaning of what Christ says when he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Who are the peacemakers? Well, we become peacemakers when we take the gospel of Christ to those who are the enemies of God. And when the gospel of Christ has regenerated the heart which results in faith and to salvation, when all of that has happened, all sinners have the same heart. They have the heart of God. We have equal hearts. We're all pure in heart. And so those who are pure in heart are those who are at peace with one another. So that works out very simply and very foundationally. The gospel of Christ is what makes peace. And so those who carry the gospel of Christ are the peacemakers. And what is the gospel? Well, we know that's Christ died for our sins. His blood was shed on that cross. That was the payment to God. Jesus was buried and then he rose again from the grave. That's the gospel of Christ that must be preached. Now that leads me then to our last observation. 
which is the emissaries of peace. We who are the children of God are the emissaries of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemakers are people who are right with God, and those who are right with God are God's children. Now, contrary to what most people believe, all people are not God's children. Not in the sense that the Bible talks about. In fact, we find that there were those in this crowd that Jesus would say later of them, you are of your father the devil. He never claimed that they were the children of God. He said, you are of your father the devil. And so any person who does not have Christ as his personal Savior is the devil's child, not God's child. Peacemakers are God's children. And we are ambassadors to a world that's in conflict. So who do you send to make peace? Well, I'd submit to you that you don't send Hillary Clinton to make peace. If you want to make peace in the world, send missionaries. Send people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that's the only way that the world will ever see peace. The heart has to be changed. So if you want peace in your family, how are you going to get there? Win your family to Jesus Christ. If you want peace at work, what are you going to do? Start making Christians out of the people at work. Give them the gospel, and then you'll find peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, that entails two very important requirements. The first one is, be sure of it yourself. Be sure of it yourself. Make sure that you are a believer. Anybody here who is still an unbeliever is still an enemy of Christ, and therefore you are not a peacemaker. You are an enemy of your fellow man. Not until your heart is changed could you ever do anything about seeking peace with anyone. So are you a believer? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? Have you been reconciled to God by the blood of the cross? That's number one. Number two is that you begin to share it with others. Peacemakers do not sit passively by. See, because you're saved, that doesn't automatically make you a peacemaker. I believe that Jesus had something these disciples were to do. Jesus didn't intend for these teachings to stay on that hillside. These were things that needed to be taught. They needed to share this information. He's not looking for undercover disciples because that's not the way you bring peace. Peace doesn't come to the world until people hear the gospel of Christ. And so when you begin to share it and when you begin to spread the good news of Christ, strangely enough, there will come division. And that's the paradox of the gospel of Christ. It starts out with division. It brings division. The paradox of peace is that war and conflict and battles will come, but at the end of that battle, there will be peace with God and peace with man. See, one of these days, Jesus is going to come back. The world will still be a place of conflict when he comes, and Jesus will come to end that conflict. That means that he's coming with a kingdom of everlasting righteousness. The world has to be purged from its sin. Righteousness has to reign because without righteousness there can't be peace. And so Jesus is the king of righteousness. And when he vanquishes all sin, that's when peace will prevail. Everlasting peace is the result of righteousness. And when you drive around the streets of Roner Park and Santa Rosa, you'll see lots of bumper stickers on cars about peace. Peace signs. They have that one that says, Visualize World Peace. And you know, it's amazing that most of that same group that's always talking about peace are the very same ones who care nothing at all for Jesus Christ. 
Those very same people are the ones also that had the little Darwin fish on their car with the feet on it, you know. Have you seen those? They're making fun of the one who can actually bring us peace. They have no clue where peace will ever come from. It only comes from the gospel of Christ. Now, folks, you need to be a peacemaker. We are emissaries of peace. We are representatives of Jesus Christ. We are representatives of the gospel of Christ, and we must tell people or the world will never see peace. That's what Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Be a peacemaker. Do it by giving people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we see here as Jesus teaches that there will never be peace in this world until men's hearts are changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will come into the heart of some person today. Help them to realize that they are the enemy of God. I don't say that. The Bible says that. It's very clear in the scriptures that every person without Jesus Christ is the enemy of God And the enemies of God will be dealt the vengeance of God. So I just pray, Lord, that you would change hearts, that you would speak to people today and bring them to the peace of Jesus Christ so that they can begin to be peacemakers with other people who are in the world. Bless our people today, Lord, those that are saved here. We have a responsibility of bearing peace. And I just pray that you'd speak to us and give us that desire, that zeal that we must have in order to win friends and family, co-workers, those around us to Jesus Christ, so that we truly can be at peace with one another and peace with God. Bless in this invitation time. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who needs to know about baptism, needs to know about faith in Christ, needs to know about becoming a member of Berean Baptist Church, or just questions they need to be prayed with and dealt with, Lord, I just pray that you would direct them to the proper area where they can learn about this and have someone speak to them and counsel them about the things of God. Bless in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please.